Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that's already feeling very edgy about a game that's 23 days away. On today's pod, there will barely be a passing mention of a title race as we turn our attentions to the Cup and a very testing trip to St Mary's this weekend. We'll also be looking at the incredible situation at Chelsea. Does it affect City? Should it affect City? Why are so many trying to make it about City? To discuss all this and more, I'm delighted to be joined today by two of my very favourite people. It's Harry and Stefan. Hi, Harry. You well, pal? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm. I'm completely fine. I do kind of admit I am a bit ready for a break from football. You know, the, the international break. Yeah, it's come at a bit of a timely time. I think there's been too much football <laughs> recently, so yeah, it'd be a nice little two week off kind of thing. Well, highly pressurised football as well. Every game now is getting really. Yeah. Yeah. And City went back to the sort of every three days recently, didn't they? They had a nice little period where they were playing sort of once a week and then they've gone <laughs> back to the twice every two day, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, I'm ready for a break too, I have to admit. Um, Stefan, are you well? Are you ready for a bit of a break from um, club football? Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's just delaying the inevitable of what's coming. Which <laughs> yes. I think is, is going to be pretty... Uh, well, if it, if it pans out in the way we expect, it's going to be a pretty gruesome few weeks, I think. Yeah. Uh, very distracting. I don't know, you know, if you're into this stuff... Uh, it can impact everything, can't it? It can, it can. You find yourself thinking about it when you're making a sandwich. It's kind of, it is getting to that kind of crunch end now and the game's come thick and fast. And and yeah, Harry's right. This is a perfectly timed international break, really. I'm never a fan of him, but just let us get prepared for it. And then it's, what, two months of absolute hell. <laughs> Although, Steve, when have Wales got them World Cup? Well, that's a thing. I've got, I've got it next Thursday, for God's sake. Yeah. Oh. No, no, <laughs> Never no end wicked. I know, I know. Um, let's get on to the Southampton game. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, maybe it's just the fact that it's a three o'clock Sunday kickoff, FA Cup on the telly. I don't know why, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, I want to kind of dig down into the lineup predictions first. I'll start with you, Harry. Um, Ruben Diaz, obviously a big miss, uh, and Cole Palmer. But that aside, City have a full mm. kind of rotor. At this stage of the season, it could be a lot worse, couldn't it? Yes, it, it definitely could be a lot worse in, in terms of injuries. Um, I'm more worried about the players that are, that are on farm uh, at the moment, obviously, especially in front of goal, and I will come on to that. Mm. Um and I just I, I, I don't know what's going to come up on on Sunday in terms of in terms of team. I'm I'm, I'm really really undecided whether he's just going to go full strength or or there is going to be a sort of few players rotated in because obviously past this international break, I assume he sort of said to him, if you're not informed, you're not in the team while you're in the running. These are the most important fixtures of the season, so maybe he gives a few sort of fringer players a chance to prove that. Um, the thing I always say is if, if we played in a Champions League final tomorrow, who would play and then sort of base it around that um, mm. for the remaining spot. So maybe a few of the lads who want to stake a claim maybe come in. Um, and I, I suppose there's some footballing reasons as well, which we'll sort of will come on to with Southampton, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a best record against them this season for sure. But um, Stefan, what, are you anticipating Pep to go strong um, with the international break in mind and, and the fact that this is our kind of last kind of commitment in, in March? Well, look, the guy would go strong if we had a Champions League final on Wednesday. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, he's going to go, he's, he's certainly going to go strong. I, I still think he, um, 
he'll move some of those players in from the bench, you would think. I mean, uh, you know, it's hard to see how it's not the end of the road for Sterling, Jesus, uh, as two examples, if they don't play on Sunday. So, um, you know, I think they both start. And then it's a collection of whoever, because we've got the... We've got the break, so um, I don't think there's going to be any huge surprises in the lineup. Um, he obviously wants to win it. Uh, I think it's a bit of a free hit because I think there are some downsides to winning the game, uh, which you know, I mean, people might disagree, but uh, but it's going to it's going to play around with the with the league running. I think if you if you end up winning and getting through to the semi and the final because of where the final lands and the, the move of the league game for the semi. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty relaxed either way, to be honest. Uh, my priorities are definitely the league and the Champions League. So if we did drop this one, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me. I, I get that. I, I do. And, and I kind of, I partly agree. The only reason I partly agree is because Liverpool are still in the tournament and, you know, you'd expect them to get past Forest. Uh, it's not a given by any stretch, of course, but um, so it could well be where you know both City and Liverpool face the same kind of conundrum in that regard. Um, well, for me, that's that's part of the reason why why I'm I'm probably more relaxed about it because I think Liverpool will get through. Hmm. That's then going to move uh, the semi final league game back into May. Um, May has very very few slots already. And because obviously they've had to move the quarterfinal game, they filled in the quarterfinal. The, the, the so they, they're meant to play Villa away on the semi-final day. Mm. Uh, we've got Wolves away, so you know there's obviously I'd quite like to move Wolves away um, out of that little period. But I only really want to be in the FA Cup if we've got an easy semi-final. I don't think it's going to be particularly great to have, let's say, a Liverpool game yeah. or or a Chelsea game. I, you know, it's just not what we need right now. Um, and for Liverpool to move that Villa game into May and then the possibility of having to move, if they did get to the final, their Southampton away game into the final midweek, you know, I think those those are positive if you're if you're in a title race. I think it's going to be very very difficult to play all those games. But maybe I'm overthinking it. Well, I'm definitely overthinking it. <laughs> we are all <laughs> overthinking it right now. It's inevitable. Um, Harry, are you concerned about the fact that City um, have had two back to back nil nil draws? Um, I'd, I'd say yeah, massively now. I mean, I, over the last couple of weeks, I've sort of been a bit nori or there about it because um, I just thought that maybe. We're sort of trying to find different and well new combinations, but it's, we're not finding our feet anymore in the season. We're, we're in the running, so mm. if we want to f- win things this season, they're going to have to start sticking the ball in the net. Um, I saw a thread this week on Twitter, and I can't remember who it is. So apologies for whoever it is. About more players needing to step up and contribute, and sort of alluding to the fact that Liverpool are not as reliant on Salamane uh, and Firmino anymore. And mm. I think that's pretty spot on and it was I sort of struggled to disagree with a lot of it and yeah it's something Liverpool got now and we haven't got at the moment we've got a few players namely Riyad Mahrez who are stepping up with a lot of goals but not a lot from uh, a lot of the other guys and we mentioned before the the, the sort of Jesus and the, the Sterling and the Grealish who probably need to step up with with more goals and 
maybe this weekend's a good chance for him to play them into some bit of form and sort of stick a few goals in. But yeah, Southampton's a tough one. Yeah, I, I, I go along with the, the logic that with Liverpool, basically it's inevitable that one of that front five, obviously the front three, but the five players that they mentioned yeah. there, one will basically have a good game and score. It's, it's just simple fact that they will. Um, you know, statistics tell us that game after game after game. Whereas with us, we don't. I mean, we've got, like you say, Mahrez, who's, who's on fire with the goal scoring, but the rest... Um, yeah, that is a concern for me. I'm not anticipating many more nil-nil draws, though, to be honest, for the rest of the season. I feel it probably is an outlier. Um, and yet, Southampton have held us nil-nil at the Etihad, restricted us to one shot on target, Stefan, and then drew a visit at St. Mary's. So, is that a concern? How did they go about doing that? Because I don't, from memory, they didn't shut up shop, did they? Um, no. The, the, I, I think they did it because... They've that they do understand how to play us, and mm. uh, one, one thing that we've we've seen is a consistency in those games where we have struggled. Uh, it's no surprise, I don't think, that we had two poor results against Palace and we had two poor results against Spurs. Um, you know, when when a team kind of has a bit of a methodology against us, we do find it difficult in the other games. Uh, where they play the same system. And I expect uh, Sunday will be pretty similar, um, which makes it even more important when we get those chances that we take them. But there's not a lot, I, you know, I don't, he's not got a lot to mix it up. I mean, we all thought he should have made some subs against Palace. But the reality is, I don't think even the people who, who believe he should have brought uh, one of those guys on thinks that they would have made a... Yeah. Yeah. You know, material difference to the quality of finishing or any of that. Everybody's about the same kind of level at the moment, except for maybe Mares, in terms of being clinical. So I expect it'll be a very similar game, quite, you know, well well organized Southampton team. Uh I think we are looking very vulnerable as we, we often have, but I think more so without Diaz when we caught on the turn. Um and you know are kind of hurtling back whilst the, whilst the team breaks against us. I suspect that Southampton are not are not the team that have got that really in their locker. If you look at the goal they scored against us in the league game at Southampton, it was you know we can all talk about Phil not tracking the guy, but it was a bit of a freak goal. Hmm. Um, so I don't think that they're you know I can't see Southampton scoring uh, more than a goal. Uh, but I, I think we will probably still have a problem in front of goal. I, you know, I don't. I'm not quite as confident as you just sounded about us not having any more zeros between now and the end of the season. You know, really? we've got to go. To, well, we've got to go to Burnley. We've got to go to Wolves. Yeah. These are games where I think, you know, I think we could. I think it. I think we could have a blank. I mean, you know, that is we. That is where we are. We we, we gambled on the striker situation. We know. Everybody knows we need a striker. Pep knows we need a striker. We gambled on it. And it means that we might just fall short in one of, I think, particularly the away games. Uh, I, you know, who knows what the Liverpool game is like. You, you would think that we'd get behind Liverpool enough times at home uh, to, to, you know, to, to get a goal. But um, who knows about the, the other ones? Uh, those those away games. We know how that Burnley game is going to play out. The, the idea that it's going to be a nice, uh, comfortable walk in the park is is obviously for the birds. And unless we score early, 
it's going to be very similar to the Crystal Palace game. Well, that, by far and away, that was one of the most tensest I'd ever been watching a game of football away at Burnley in, in 2018-19. Yeah. So, They're scrapping for their lives as well, yeah. Steve. Don't forget that. They're scrapping for their lives at the moment, especially with sort of the results that are going on around them. And, I mean, Watford beat Southampton last week. Um, the well, teams the down there two. are... Yeah, yeah. Conceding a lot of goals Southampton at the moment, last three games, which is very unlike them. Yeah, I, yeah. Just, I just think it's a bit of a weird situation down at the bottom because every time you think like a, a team is so far gone, they sort of pick up a few results and drag another team back into it. So Burnley is still going to be right in, in amongst it at that time, and so yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a tricky one that as well. What do you both make of um, the Saints and Hasselhuttle uh, in particular, um, Harry? I'll start with you. Kind of, I. I've, I rate him, but I do believe him to be one <laughs> yeah. of those streaky coaches. They, they seem to go on really good runs and then just capitulate for a, for a sustained period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think I'm exactly the same as you. I'm a bit undecided on how much I rate him. Uh, I think it kind of flip flops sort of week on week. Mm. He's clearly no mug, like he's clearly a talented yeah. manager, but maybe probably at the right level currently. Um, but like you say, he can be a bit hit and miss at times. Uh, Southampton obviously have got a good team. They're obviously uh, found an absolute gem in that. That that Broger, but I'd be very well, surprised. He's, he's out of the weekend. That's a key thing. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if they managed to to keep hold of him. Though I yeah. assume Chelsea will will snatch him back, especially if the situation around there is the same uh, come the summer. Yeah. Um, watching, I, I had a little look at the, the game against Watford the other week, and they had a bit of a problem with the high press. Um, both of it was Hernandez who scored them both. They sort of caught them out at the back and and sort of caused a lot of problems with a, just a pretty simple press. Um, mm. So, sort of referring back to the team selection, Pep always says Jesus, Sterling are City's best pressers in the team. Maybe they could come in and, and cause Southampton problems up there. But like I said, like you said before, they stepped up the game in both games against City. Um, but on another day, City take the chances. City have picked up six points. But yeah, it just sort of depends on how how our forwards are. Yeah. Um, Stefan, your thoughts on kind of Southampton and, and, and how they've kind of done, I mean, Hasselhuttle's been there, was it three years now? Um, they've impressed largely, but there's also some flaws there for me. Well, I mean, they've lost the last three um, and really they were games I would have thought that have been looking for, you know, six or seven points and yeah. they've, got, they've got zero. Um but, you know, in February, they had those couple of good results, true at United and, and, and one at Spurs and drew against us in, at the end of January. Uh, you know, I suspect they're a very different team playing a, a low block, uh, well-organised, well-drilled yes. yeah. uh, system against a team like us versus a, a game where everything's on them to win the game because they probably have what they do. You know, they've got limit. I think they've got... Uh, Brozier obviously looks like he's a he's a decent player, but they've got limited depth, and I think you know uh, he's a good manager for organisation. He's that he's been there a while now, so that gives them a chance in in these games, and, and you know, and we hate these games. We, you know, we hate the teams that I know they came out a little bit uh, at, at the Etihad, but the reality is. We know what we, we know what we're going to get. Right? We're going to get a well organised. You you come and beat us, and uh, he's, he's a decent money. I think he's a decent coach. I, I'm not sure what his limit is because every time you think he might get a bigger job, he goes and loses three games on the bench. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You know, 
I don't know. It, it, you, I think when you've got better players, it's it's a, it's a completely different ball game anyway. Uh, but if you look, you know, Liverpool beating them, beating them well this season. Uh, Arsenal beat them well, uh, but then they won at Spurs, won at West Ham. Obviously, were good against us. Drew against United, so you know it's very hard to kind of say. I, I think I think the bottom line is they because they've done it against us before. I think we can expect a tricky game, and it, and if we score early, then the game changes, and if we don't, then I think it's going to be a grind. Yeah, I mean that's a really. I, I know it's a cliche to say it's so important who scores first, but in this particular game, Southampton have gone ahead on eighteen occasions this season. They've only won eight of those games, whereas of course, famously with City, one of the incredible stats from this season for us is we've gone ahead twenty-two times and won all twenty-two games. So, um, yeah, who scores first is so important. And a lot of it. Go on, just, just on that, I mean, I, I just think with the City team, I know it's a cliche, but. I think because of the nature of how most teams play against us, it, it's a cliche for a reason, if you, if you know what I mean. Mm. I mean. Because it makes a massive difference, right? Because of the way teams try and play against us, where they're just trying to, most of them are just trying to stay at nil-nil until at some point in the game they get this one golden chance. The reality is if you score the first goal, their whole system has to change. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it's just a cliche. I think it is reality, and it's borne out by the stats, of course. But I can't see any... You know, if we'd have scored against Crystal Palace, we all think we'd have won the game yeah. right, if we'd scored mm-hmm. first. And it's the same at Burnley, and it's the same tomorrow, uh, Sunday. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a fact of life. Um, but that brings well, us to... It's not what you can do. Well, I, I think there is. I, I, that's, that kind of brings us to something that someone said on Twitter the other day, and I wholeheartedly agree. What we're, what we're seeing, Harry, these days, and of course it's not purposeful. Of course, you know, Pep and City would change this if they could. But what we're seeing is we're not starting bright and early like we used to. You know, we used to just mm. get into teams right from the off. The amount of early goals we're scoring in the first half of the season was ridiculous. That's no longer yeah. happening. And so, you know, away teams or opposition can settle into that pattern then. Um, and it, it basically falls into their hands. And we have to basically find our way through 10 players. So can that change? Can you see that changing? Is it a cliche to say at this stage of the season now, a touch of fatigue setting in, so we just don't have that high energy to just go right at teams right from the off for the whole 90 minutes anymore? Do you, can you not just put that in the context that we do have chances in the opening passages and could just be. don't yeah. take them? Yeah, could well be. I just think that... Well, we did, we did take the chance against United, didn't we? I mean, mm, you know, yeah, so we did yeah, score yeah. early. Uh, yeah, it, can't be, it can't be fatigue. I mean, you know, we've played... You know, we've had big big gaps between games. We, we can't be tired. Mm, yeah. We've not played that many games between, you know, sort of... January the first and, and and now we we've actually if anything I would say maybe we've not played enough games maybe actually the rhythm for us is is better maybe every three days is what we need yeah. I don't know okay uh, how 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 do you see this playing out Harry oh um. I don't know if I've just been sort of down in the dumps since, since Liverpool <laughs> played in midweek. I, I don't know. I just, I've, I've, I've to, I don't know if my mentality has just completely switched since they beat Arsenal and just thought that it's sort of completely switched in the head and City are just rubbish. But in reality, they've what dropped seven points since October. Um, but these are the levels, I suppose, nowadays. Um, 
Yeah, probably. I'd, I'd say a nervy game. I, I've gone in terms of prediction. I've gone. I've gone one-one with us to win it in extra time. Uh, maybe not what we need right about now. Another thirty minutes, but mm. um, it could be another nervy one. It just again, you like like we've sort of all said. It depends on who scores first. Um, if City score first, of course, that gives it a whole sort of different complexion. Um, but if Saints score first, it, I could see it being very very similar to to the to the game that we played there um, in in what was it in January. Uh, when it when it ended one one city with a host of chances, but maybe some fresh legs off the bench sort of seal it for us an extra time. I think the, the the look on the players' faces when they came off against Palace, I think that tells us everything we need to know. I think it's going to be three one city, um, and it'll be very much a performance and a result that we 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 kind of got used to before Christmas. Um, Stefan, how do you see it playing out? Uh, well, the one thing is that this is Southampton's season. Like, mm. You know they they yes. they almost can't finish mm. any higher than ninth. Uh, it would be almost impossible for them to to get uh, to get above ninth. Uh, they got thirty five points, so this is it. Uh, which I think makes it you know a slightly tougher game, but maybe also means that they don't just defend and that they do come out a little bit. Um, City, obviously, you know, obviously you can't have a bet against City, although I regularly do uh, just for. <laughs> insurance uh you know you'd think we'd win the game but most likely look i think it comes down to the first goal i I know that's a really boring thing to say but if we get the first goal i think we'll win and if we don't i think it could go either way i think it's a bit of a coin flip because um you know of course we can come back if they score first um but likewise i could see you know, some doggy defensive performance and are struggling to score. We are definitely sh- short up front. I, I don't think that it's even a debate anymore. We, we all said this as well, didn't we? At the start of the season, we all said that we'll play wonderful football all season long, but when it gets to that business end of the season, that's when you want that number nine. That's when you want that player who, you know, your Sergio type, who'll just get you that goal week in, week out when you need it. And um, and we said this, we, a lot of us, I remember Asan being one, used an example of, you know, a, a Champions League final. Um, but really, you know, you can extrapolate that to now to, to, to the run. Yeah. Um, so we all said this, but yeah. But this has been... Has been... No, go on. Well, well, well Pep, I mean, look, we know, we know Pep, we know Pep agree, agrees, right? Yeah. So there's, no, yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's not even a debate in the club. Everybody knows we need a striker. The only thing I would say is, I think it's more important that you have a striker in a game where you're playing against a team who is, is going to, uh, is going to sit back. I think actually, ironically, this might play in our favour in in a Champions League uh, type game, where actually the extra midfield player might help you dominate a game in, in a way that maybe you wouldn't if you had the striker. And those teams are not going to low block you, and it may it may be the advantage in those games. And it, it potentially our big problem with with this system is actually in these away games against your Burnleys, your Crystal Palaces, your Southamptons. And maybe it'll all turn out fine in the end. But, uh, you know, that situation at Palace is, is as much as anybody might like to justify Pep not making a substitution, it, it's, it's a bit of an indictment. You need a goal in the game. You can't make a single substitution because you've got no confidence in those players on the bench. And even the one he was thinking of bringing on is Gundo. 
And it wasn't mm. Sterling and it wasn't yeah. Jesus. I mean, that yeah. is a pretty bad indictment of what we've got on the bench. Yeah, well, agreed, agreed. And just a kind of last word on Southampton um, from me is that um, I believe that Hasselhoff will be trying to implement a low block. I don't think it's, it's, that's going to be allowed, essentially, because as you said, Stefan, this is Southampton season. The fans will be absolutely bang up for this. Um, and so his biggest task will be to get the players to perform the system, the strategy that he wants, because I think passion's going to overtake them. I think they're going to come out at us um, and they'll have their spells. But yeah, it's going to play right into our hands. I mean, that's what I hope as well as believe. We'll see. Is that, is not, do you want that though, Steve? I mean, obviously there has been, I know what we said about fast starts, but there has been games where when we have gone on to dominate, where teams have come and sort of tried to blitz us in the first 10 minutes. We've mm. sort of controlled the game and, and took over from then. If we sort of make it a, a basketball match and go for them early as well, would that not play into Southampton's hands a bit? Possibly, uh, possibly, but we've got the superior quality, in, you know, individuals right across the board. So you'd hope mm. more times than not, you know, we'd win out in that regard. Um, and obviously, yes, the situation can change from you know phase to phase throughout the game. So, um, but yeah, if if that was the case, if they came at us right from the off, I'd, I'd take that right now. But I, I don't mind. I mean, I, you know, when when these teams try and come at us, to me, I, I know it's not really worked out that way. We are most vulnerable on being countered. You yeah. know, I think we look all over the place and still do. Uh, I'm not sure it's ever going to change. Uh, I, I think if we are set in our defensive line, actually we're pretty good at defending a team that's attacking us. I think we we get we get very easily countered. Uh, well, uh, when, when we are countered, it looks very dangerous. I think that's where our big weakness is. Against United, against Spurs... You saw it. Where we were set against United in that 20-minute period where apparently United were dominant, actually, <laughs> I felt a lot more comfortable because I, th- I think we can defend when we're organised and when we're back. Mm. It's, it's being countered. And um, I'd, I'd be okay with Southampton coming at us. Um, as it, One thing I would say, and the thing that surprised me a little bit about Palace, was how happy they were uh, to you know, they were sort of celebrating the nil-nil as if they'd uh, as if they'd won a cup game or a title, yeah. and that's quite. I think that's quite interesting in that you've got opposition fans being quite happy for their team to play very defensively against us, not not attackers. Take a point. I'm not sure it's going to change for Southampton. I think Southampton fans will be prepared to be patient and to see whether they can pick us off at some point in the game by keeping it a nil-nil. So I wouldn't ha- I, I would think that the players will have the discipline to keep the low block, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it may well be right. And certainly that's bought itself out this season with the two draws as well. Um and Southampton fans there, you know, witnessed it of course. So and we're very happy with a draw on each occasion. Um so yeah, it might well be where both fans and team are in alliance and playing the low block, but I don't know, just something about that magic of the cup. <laughs> it just does things to support us, who knows? Let's kind of turn our attentions to Chelsea um, and City, although quite wise City in this conversation. I'm not fully convinced at this point. But we'll start with Chelsea and just how bizarre it's been the last couple of weeks. I'll start with you, Harry. Just how, well, precisely that, how bizarre have you found it all? Yeah, it's a, I said before, it's it's an hard one to discuss because obviously it's a, a developing situation that everyone is sort of a bit in the dark with. 
given how unprecedented it is. But obviously at the moment, the team, the manager, the fans are sort of ultimately paying the price. Um, obviously, it's not Chelsea fans' fault. This is all happening, but it all goes back to this politics and football and the sort of... Obviously, there's been an argument that they've sort of always been hand in hand, but that sort of only intensified since the whole sort of Super League debacle. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one to discuss because, again, it's never happened before. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard one to read. And I'm so more intelligent people than me will have a sort of a better spin on sort of what's happening right now. Well, just as a Manchester City fan, are you kind of enjoying it? You know, are you finding it humorous in any way? Um, I'm, I'm conflict. I have to say, of course, no. part of me finds it funny, but largely it's kind of, it's all a bit unsavory. And um, yeah. are you the same or are you actually being able to kind of enjoy the sight of kind of a rival, no longer being a rival very possibly in a couple of years' time? Um, well, maybe, maybe it's Chelsea and it's not my, if it was Man United, maybe it'd be a bit different. Right, um, yeah. But because it's Chelsea, I don't know. It's, I'm a bit sort of not here or there about it. Um, yeah. But look, I'm just, and maybe this is completely ill-informed of me, but I, I do feel sorry for the sort of fans who just go there just to watch football every yeah. week. I and I stop from doing that. Um, and obviously speaking to, to a lot of people this week, a, a lot of people sort of feel the same. Sort of opposition fans is like, you know, obviously the situation is the situation and obviously the sanctions were always going to come, but Obviously, Chelsea fans are getting a, a lot of stuff against them that they don't deserve because they just sort of turn up and, and watch the football. Um, mm. And I know if that had happened to, to us, you know, we, us here as fans sort of are not involved in anything that's going on, but we'd be the ones that are getting punished for it. So I do feel a bit sorry for, for the fans. Um, it, and, but yeah, maybe if it was United, I'd be sat here laughing at them. Because <laughs> Chelsea, I'm a bit indifferent, so... I'm not the same. Um, Stefan, how bad is it for Chelsea? How bad is it going to get for them? Uh, we don't know at the moment, actually. I think there's two There's two scenarios. One is uh, catastrophic is quite a big word, but it, it could eat. There is a scenario where it could be a complete meltdown. Mm. Uh, and that, that scenario basically looks like some kind of collapse in the sale process, um, a lack of cash to actually pay the bills, uh, the need to call in an administrator, the deduction of points, the uh, cancellation of effectively a whole load of player contracts um, and everything else, uh, right through to what I think is, is starting to look more likely, which is a frenzied auction of the club, mm. whereby... Somebody, for some reason, decides to pay a very full price uh, for them, despite all of the distress, decides to do the deal in a relatively accelerated manner. And uh, at some point, probably just after the end of the season or or around the end of the season, they are moved to uh, another one of the US billionaires and... Uh, and things kind of move on as if none of this ever happened. Um, uh, there's obviously a few wrinkles in that in terms of player contracts that need to be renegotiated. Um, but, you know, I would think that what's happening at the moment is that they're having conversations with, with those players and saying, you know, please just don't sign anything with anybody else um, and just give us a little bit longer to try and figure out how it's going to pan out. 
So uh, we don't know, but I, I think on balance, it's starting to look, unless there's been a lot of false PR briefing, it's starting to look like they've got enough interest in the sale process uh, that will mean that they could come out of this fairly unscathed. Yeah. Okay. Um, it'll be certainly interesting to see how it, this plays out in yeah. the next month or two. I mean, kind of discussing Chelsea in the media this week, uh, and a perfect example is is Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville on, on Monday Night Football, um, where the increasingly are bringing Manchester City into the conversation and Newcastle into the conversation. Um, Harry, have you found this somewhat, and seeing what you've seen on Twitter, I, I'm assuming you've seen the same kind of things as, as what I have and from certain journalists, are you finding this somewhat opportunistic of people? Are they, are they thinking that there's a weakness here that they can kind of, you know, uh, attack City on when, frankly, it's got nothing to do with Manchester City? Well, to be completely honest, I'm, I'm very surprised Pep hasn't had the, the Eddie Howe treatment yet. Yeah. Are you, are you anticipating that, that he will? Do you think he will? Um, I'd, I'd very find it very hard to say no. Mm. Um, because, as you say, obviously they like talking about City and if, if Howe's getting it, I suppose um, I suppose Pep will soon. Uh, maybe maybe today. I mean, he has a press conference today. Yeah. When, when was when, when was Howe speaking? Was that over the weekend? Uh, so yeah, it's a, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm maybe maybe not surprised, but um, without sort of knowing absolutely everything about what happens around the Abu Dhabi group and where they're from and stuff. Obviously, journalists well within their right to ask questions, but managers are also well within their right to bat it away if they yeah. don't feel what themselves sort of know can make a real difference. Um, I've got to say, on the Eddie Howe front, I'm very conflicted. I mean, I really am sitting on the fence on that one. On the one hand, he's a football manager. You know, he should yeah. basically be asked about football. Uh, but on the other hand, he knew who he was kind of getting into yeah. bed with. So he kind of... Yeah. But obviously, Tuchel's obviously getting a lot of praise for, for what he's been saying in, yeah. in the media and, and how he's getting a sort of, well, why isn't he saying anything? Well, Tuchel obviously feels like his opinion is a, a more informed one than how it's as simple as that I just don't understand what they sort of want them to say yeah um, and I mean I, I still I, I still just don't know I don't know what they, what answer they want from them sort of questions um, well you do just, don't you I'll tell you what, what they want is they want the full condemnation uh, or the opposite that they can use as a headline I mean I think it's completely disingenuous in terms of what they want you know they don't want to know Eddie Howe's opinion of yes, eight, yeah. 81 executions. They don't want to know Eddie Howe's opinion of the war in Yemen. They want either the line that they want to believe is the truth, right, which is whatever whatever that political opinion is on, on Saudi, on the execution on Yemen or whatever else are these issues. Uh, they want that opinion repeated by Howe. Or, frankly, they'll roast him if he gives a different view. If he comes out tomorrow and says, you know what, I've always been massively in favour of the death penalty. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's his opinion. Let's say that's his opinion. Is that really what they want to hear, except to absolutely roast it? Mm. It's all, in my view, it's completely disingenuous in terms of what they really want to know what Eddie Howe thinks about. They just don't. Well, they, Stephen, want, they want some copy. Is it also disingenuous bringing Manchester City into the conversation? 
Well, sort of. I mean, you just said you're conflicted. I mean, I think if you're conflicted on Eddie Howe, then it's not disingenuous to bring City into the equation because, you know, the reality is that a lot of the things that you want to ask Eddie Howe about in relation to Saudi surely must apply to Pep about Abu Dhabi. So uh, this is why I think a lot of, for me, a lot of the debate is around the um, is, a, is around the political the political views that you as an individual you not not you personally but mm. you as you you as a fan me as a fan the journalist as a, as a journalist a lot of it comes down to where they sit on these issues so if you're somebody that carries an amnesty international card then I don't I don't know how you can be wholly comfortable with being owned by you know Abu Dhabi or Saudi Arabia those are pretty big conflicts um, but but if you're somebody that has uh, a view about geopolitics that actually it's really bloody complicated and Russia should tell you that nobody really understands anything uh, because mm. everybody's every everybody's grappling around even experts on these situations are grappling around to try and understand what's really going on that should tell you that these issues are, are super complex there's there's a whole load of relationships that none of us really understand that none of us are party to that even governments don't necessarily understand so if you, if you've got a more nuanced view of of these situations then you can be more comfortable with not asking Eddie how the question if you're somebody who who is you know your whole focus is around human rights then of course you want Eddie how you want the players to be asked about it you want everybody to be asked about it because it's your it's your view you find this is incredibly important and the contradiction of being owned by one of these states, too much to bear. I think it depends Steph- where you are on that. Stefan, so please shoot me down if I'm wrong here. Why wasn't Howe asked about this when he first took over? Why is it sort of all coming up now? Well, it, well, it was asked to an extent. I mean, you know, I think it, there was a lot of uh, people have been warming up for a while. I think there was, you had a combination over the last few days of obviously the Russia situation the sanction situation, a kind of re-evaluation of all of the last 20 years in relation to Abramovich. And then laid on top of that, Saudi very proudly announcing that they'd murdered 80 or executed 81 people, mm. right? And so it, everything's come together in respect of Saudi to, to then say, okay, well, let's, let's have a proper conversation about this with, with Eddie Howe. But I just don't believe... And nobody has yet convinced me that Eddie Howe is the right person to be dealing with these questions. I don't think it's fair on on him. And I don't believe that really the journalists want his opinion. They, they just, they want him to uh, unreservedly condemn certain things that it's perfectly reasonable for him not to have a view on. You know, the war in Yemen is not straightforward, right? So... It's fine for a football journalist to try and make out as though there's an equivalence to the situation between Russia and Ukraine with Saudi and Yemen, but there simply isn't. And in any event, they don't understand it, right? And, and the reason that I can be sure they don't understand it is because there are commentators who, who literally spend their entire lives analysing these situations and they don't really understand it. Yeah. So there's actually, I was watching it last night, a sad bastard that I am. There's the, the Saudi ambassador uh, did a talk uh, this week at the Oxford Union 
And it's a one-on-one with then some questions afterwards. Mm. And, and obviously he's very well, you know, he's very well educated and he's, he's used to answering these questions. And I wasn't wholly convinced with, with the way that he answered the questions in relation to Yemen. But if people want to understand at least what the perspective is from the Saudi perspective, then it's worth a watch, right? It's, a, it's about an hour. Watch it at double speed. It'll educate you on at least their view of things. Mm. The point is, he's a much better person to ask the question to. They'll ask Eddie bloody how <laughs> about, about why Saudi is involved with the Houthis uh, against, the, you know, in, in, in Yemen and, and where it started and where it's going to get. It's just a ridiculous concept. Yeah. You know, as I say, they don't want his opinion. Right, I do think, in fairness, one, th- one thing I will say is I do think he should be able to address the question about the executions. And it's a really easy question for him to answer, assuming that he is anti the death penalty, because he can just say, it, you know, I don't agree in any circumstance with the death penalty. And therefore, I am obviously opposed to the execution of 81 people. That's it. That's all he has to say. Mm. Yeah, but the rest of it, the rest of it is nonsense. But I do think. The, the, the contagion into the city situation is unfortunately real. Uh, it is something that I think in in Abu Dhabi they will they will definitely be thinking about about it from a risk perspective. Likewise, uh, with with the partners and the other shareholders. So, so what in in reality, in kind of practice, what will that be then? Because. Gary Neville mentioned risk assessments being made by city zoners right yeah, now. Yeah, I think so. he's. I think he's right. I mean, he, he probably got it from uh, from uh, the spaces that we did. Um, <laughs> but we, we we have talked about it. I mean, I, I think he's right that you would have to. I, I don't think it's about city, right? So I think part of the problem here is that all of all of the stuff that we're reading on Twitter is is viewed through this prism of football, right? And football is largely irrelevant to this whole situation. But is there a scenario where, or has it already been done, where in Abu Dhabi and Saudi and, and, and frankly, a lot of these other states where they're actually going, ooh, sanctions of this scale, right? So they've never been used before at this level, right? Because what you've got is both sanctions from a more formal, can't deal with the bank, effectively being financially cancelled by the US, the EU, et cetera, et cetera. But also the, this new thing, which is commercial, um, effectively commercial cancellation, where McDonald's, P&G, um, all, of the, all of the professional firms, you basically now can't operate in Russia, okay? So on the streets of Russia, you've, you've you know, all of these, all the Prada shops, the, the Dior shops, the McDonald's, they're all closed. This sort of thing has never happened before where you've had this level of, uh, of commercial cancellation. And the idea that they're not looking at it going, well, hang on, what would happen if all of a sudden the West turned against us and cancelled us in this way? That risk assessment must be happening. Uh, as it happens, I think it's a different ball game between Russia and, and the Middle East, yeah. one, because they're just different beasts, but two, they're much more important in terms of their impact on the rest of the world. I mean, at the moment, given the, the way the oil situation is, uh, as you can see, Britain are doubling down on the relationship with Saudi and Abu Dhabi, and therefore 
the chance of it happening is, is I think, pretty slim. Um, but they must. That's what that risk assessment is. It's what happens if this, if if the same thing happened to Russia and we got cancelled by the West, what would we do? You know, and they'd probably say, well, we'd look east and we we we'd do some. We'd we'd be much more in the hands of the Chinese. But again, you know, this is we're getting into deep into geopolitics. This is not about football. Yeah. And nobody will convince me uh, of the, of these guys constantly banging on on Twitter about these these about Eddie Howe and everything else. Nobody will convince me that football is more important um, in in this respect than uh, than Britain's relationship with Saudi Arabia. So. If Britain is going to Saudi Arabia and to Abu Dhabi to part, to, to do uh, trade deals right now, the idea that that uh, City and Newcastle shouldn't be allowed to be owned by the same people we're we're going cap in hand to is just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, they we want them as our trade partner, and they own two of our football clubs. Um, just kind of staying, staying with you, Stefan, for kind of uh, one more question because there is talk of an independent regulator in the Premier League. Um, there's talk of I, I, this bit I didn't understand what Gary never mentioned real time financial monitoring. Um, I do understand that the lack of fit and proper persons test, which is just it's just a ludicrous situation, what it's long needed resolving. But if all of this comes into play, if a Premier League and English football as a whole now looks at itself and says, right, we need to kind of sort this out, for want of a better expression, does the Premier League have the teeth to do that? I mean, we're talking about nations, we're talking about huge, you know, we're talking about China, Russia, Saudi Arabia. Premier League doesn't have the teeth to kind of put such things in place? Well, look, it, it can do what it likes if it can pass the rules. There are easy solutions to all of this if they want it. So real-time financial monitoring actually, to an extent, exists already in the rules. Right. I mean, it wouldn't surprise you that uh, Gary Neville and these guys, a lot of them haven't actually read what the rules say. So one, uh, and I did point this out on Twitter. So one thing, for example, that all teams need to do is by the 31st of March of each season, they need to effectively submit their forecasts for the following season, and uh, and and with the assumptions behind it and everything else in terms of how they see it panning out, right? And if that's unsatisfactory to the league, the league has the ability to impose a whole load of rules around them. So it can be anything from monitoring, it can be a permission around player transfers, effectively a transfer ban a transfer um, kind of uh, permission. Uh, and a lot of that is now in place with Everton. Right. So some people might have seen in the last week that because of uh, Everton's likely breaching of the Premier League financial fair play, they've, they've ended up in a, in a situation with the Premier League where they've got to consult with them about budgeting and about transfers. That appears to be what, what it's about, Okay. So there are already some rules around real-time financial monitoring. The league, if you were a company listed on the London Stock Exchange, you have continuing obligations. And there are rules around those which are not cast in the company's act or in law. They are the rules of the market. And the Premier League could put in place the rules of the Premier League that says, we need the clubs to do the following. And it can be anything. So it could be, and this is one thing that I think would, would address my complaint about the A. Howe situation. It could be 
that twice a season, the club has to uh, have a, a general meeting where any stakeholder, and by stakeholder that could be a fan, that could be a season ticket holder, that could be a supplier, that could be whatever, uh, goes to uh, an online forum where the board of directors, including the non-executive directors, lot, a lot of who are the sorts of uh, political players that we're talking about in respect of Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, can be asked questions by the audience mm. and by the journalists. And that would be a better forum for addressing issues around what's happening in Saudi Arabia or what's happening in Abu Dhabi than asking the football manager. You could also have a situation where people need to make certain deposits around uh, financial security so that clubs have to have enough cash in the bank to deal with a situation like the Chelsea situation. So maybe clubs always have to carry six months of cash flow so that you know that, that if something happens, there's no risk of them immediately going bust and that they've got time for, for a process. It doesn't have to be an independent regulator. The independent regulator is now being talked about basically because the rules are not complete. And can the Premier League do it? Yes, they can. But everybody's got to agree to them, or 14 or however yeah. many teams. And I don't know whether they're going to vote for that. But everything can be done. None of these things are that difficult to do. Okay. Um, mm, that's interesting stuff. Um, Harry, one, th- one aspect I wanted to touch on, and I'm just kind of looking at the time now and we kind of start wrapping it up. I want to get onto Champions League very quickly as well before we, we go. But one aspect I really want to ask you about, Harry, is sports washing. This this term which just kind of gets under my skin. And Does it make any sense to you? It does not make any sense to me. We are here on a podcast, a Manchester City podcast, talking about kind of, you know, Abu Dhabi, talking about the war in Yemen, talking about kind of, you know, executions. So in that regard, how the hell does sports washing work? Mm. I think it's all probably down to your, your own personal interest, right? Why we, we know stuff about it. Obviously, Stefan's more interested in that sort of side of stuff than than us, I imagine. So he's obviously more intelligent and makes more valid points than us. But it's it's obviously real. I mean, we've heard a lot about it. There's mm. probably no point in pretending it's not. But I... I I, I just I, I have no idea what it is. I, I have no idea idea if it happens at City. I'm just I don't feel like I've had absolutely nothing to this conversation, but it's just it's just something that that I've just sort of distanced myself from and just I just don't want to speak about it. I just don't want to speak about that sort of stuff. I want to speak about stuff that happens on the pitch. Did you know about the you know when I mentioned the eighty one executions in Saudi Arabia? Had you mm. heard about yeah. that this week? O- only when it was brought up at House press conference. Right. <laughs> See, that's a per- so, perfect example of, of the futility of, of sports washing. Well, look, so that, that whole sports washing thing, and I, what, what I think is amazing is the football journalists over the last two, three weeks are, have convinced themselves that the, the Russia situation is proof of sports washing. Hmm. When, when I would say it's would say. proof of the opposite. Yeah. But, you know, never you're never going to land on this. Is there an element of sports washing that exists? Of course, right? So there's no question that an element of running an Olympics in China um, and a Paralympics in China has an element of sports washing. There is no question that the World Cup in Russia and the Olympics in uh, in Sochi, the Winter Olympics, 
There's no question there's an element of sports washing. There's no question that there's an element of sports washing in the, in the Grand Prix in Bahrain. Mm. There's, there's just no question. These things are adverts for those nations. There is a much more nuanced situation in respect of the ownership of a partisan football club. Right? I do not believe that getting 50,000, 100,000, or probably a minority of that group uh, of Newcastle fans to shill for you on yes. Twitter yeah. makes any bloody difference at all to anybody, particularly when the the obvious uh, side, or, uh, the, the, the obvious counter to that is exactly what we just talked about, where all of a sudden every football fan probably in the world now knows about the 81 executions that happened in Saudi Arabia and therefore can have a view, mm. right? How is that? How is that hiding any potential wrongdoing that is going on in Saudi Arabia? All it's doing is bringing it to the fore. And so whilst I think there is an element of sports washing, football clubs are owned for a variety of reasons. And it's to simply say this is just about sports washing is just obviously not right. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Guys, I really enjoyed that. And I, I found it fascinating and informative. And so... Um, and hopefully next week we can talk about the football. But it's mm. Gary Neville said on Monday this isn't going to go away. Let's hope it just goes away for the international break and gives us a break from it. Um, but before we we do though, um, I just want to know from each of you. I'll start with you, Harry. The Champions League draw is coming up in let's see two hours time. Um, so I'll make that three hours then. Three hours, yeah. Oh God, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to fall for that this time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the teams we could be faced with, Liverpool, Chelsea, Bayern, Benfica, and the three Spanish clubs, Atletico, Villarreal, Real Madrid. Just kind of one-word answers, really. But, Harry, who do you most want to, us to get? Who do you least want us to get? Um, I think, obviously, Liverpool and Bayern are their own category of yes. not wanting to get, especially with this sort of schedule around that. Um, Chelsea and probably Real Madrid just a bit behind. I obviously would rather have one of Benfica or Villarreal. And plus, I think Nicolas Otamendi would hand us a few penalties if we got Benfica. <laughs> I love it. Uh, um, Stefan, what about yourself? Who would you least want to get? Uh, oh, Liverpool would be some form of living hell, wouldn't it? It was. It was. And the uh, fact that we could play them then, and I, I'm getting ahead of myself, I know, but, you know, an FA Cup semi-final, say, and it could all be around the same kind of time. Would be. I mean, it, it would just be unbearable. I mean, it, it's, it's, there's no other way to describe it. it it's, uh, I mean, it, I, I actually think today's draw, and by the way, they do the quarters and the semis, you know that. So, right. Um, so we're going to know a lot, I think, today about, well, obviously, it's going to fill in a lot of the fixture situation. I think it because I, I'm I strongly believe it's going to impact the league situation. So if 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 one of Liverpool or City gets some horrendous draws versus one of the other teams getting a very easy route, I think that's going to have a material impact in terms of uh, of the league situation. Um, so, so what you mean if if say let's say City get Benfica and Liverpool get Bayern? Then, in regards to the league situation, that puts a slight advantage, gives a slight advantage to Liverpool. Because, uh, well, to you know, si- to, no, to City, because we, we'd have Benfica, which I think is, you know. But how would it help the league situation if. if- because I think if you stick 
two games against Bayern Munich in the middle of the period, I think it's going to be I cut see. the games around it. I mean, but then I think the side of City, isn't it? The yeah, game, yeah. Liverpool, Liverpool game. Yes, these, of course. These ties, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and likewise with the semi, I think you want as many straightforward games as you can get between yeah. now and then the season just because there are so many very, very tough games. Physically and mentally, I think you're going to need to have at least some breathers in that mix. And of course, a you know, quarter-final or semi-final of the Champions League is not a breather, but it, it makes a world of difference if it's Benfica or Villarreal versus Bayern Munich or Liverpool or Chelsea. Mm. Um, although Chelsea might be easier if it's behind closed doors uh, at, at Chelsea, um, which I think is likely for the, for the quarter. Uh, so, I don't, look, you want Villarreal, Benfica, maybe Atletico, but... Um, yeah, Atletico would probably be quite a painful game. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm with but, you. Benfica would be real. I think if we get Liverpool, it's it's just unbearable. I mean, yeah. a- April is going to be just, just, just horrendous. Well, if, if, I think. Come it. I was just going to say, if we're going off last year as well, I'm pretty sure whether the quarterfinals will be home first. Uh, and have the away leg second, so obviously that might be an important right. factor around then, especially if we get Liverpool. But if we got Liverpool, t- you know, twice in the Champions League, um, let's say in the FA Cup semi final, and then in the league, the reason why I don't want to do that is because with COVID and with finance and everything, I don't think I can prepare and plan and pay for a trip to the other side of the world for a couple of months. And, you know, to, to buy a big kind of digger and dig a massive hole and go live in that hole because there's no way I'm going to endure all that. That is absolutely an impossible proposition for me. Um, okay, guys, I really enjoyed that. And thank you so much for joining me this Friday. Um, thanks, Stefan. Cheers. Uh, thanks, Harry. Yeah, cheers, mate. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. That's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to tie ourselves to a goalpost to protest against wind turbines, just to balance things out. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, be well, and forever up the blues. <laughs>